Hello and welcome to another episode of Corgi Town USA, a podcast for pets and their people. I am Candy Kemp, owner of Corgi Town USA. In my lap is our spokes Korg Chuckles. He's our tricolored corgi. And always I have. Hi, I'm Kat Cohen, a cat with a corgi. And in my lap is Digby, although he's not staying very long. He's getting all antsy. But <laughs> he's surly. He's surly. This is my boy. And we have everybody in studio. Yes. We have uh, Booger and Hammer and Mortimer's around here. And um, he and Digby are really giving each other a run for the money. So yes. it is Corgi Pandemonium. And we are going to be having some landscapers show up. So we're going to have some Borks. And it's going to be all kinds of fun today. It will be. It will be. So our first guest. I, I love how you found Jennifer. Yes. I, I So... I highly encourage Corgi community that you start reading these books. A dear friend of mine, she and her children were at the store and she stopped by. She said, we were shopping and we found this book and we knew we had to get it for you. And it's called To Fetch a Felon. It's a cozy Corgi mystery. And she said, you know, we, we saw this and we thought of you. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I cannot wait. And I haven't finished reading it yet, but it's the first in a series. And to my absolute tickled delight, I um, reached out to our author and she agreed to come join us and talk about her books. Should we bring her on? I think we should. Okay. In, in the midst of all the books. In the midst of all the books. Jennifer, welcome. How are you today? I am doing real well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate your time so much. And we know you have a lot of light, a lot of writing to do. So thank you for bearing with us as we are uh, experiencing zoomies and bitey face down here. And it's just chaotic, but it's a corgi podcast. <laughs> this is the way we live our life. That's right. That means chaos. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> we live our life this way. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. So, but we have yeah. some questions. Yeah, we so we have some questions about your book. We, I mean, there's so much I want to hear and so many questions. And I know that our audience will have questions. Um, Kat will have questions. Yep. Um, but we'll just kind of start with the obvious. Um, you, you are a writer. What inspired you to have a corgi as a very instrumental character in this series? How did you get inspired there? Well, I will tell you the truth. This was not my original idea. Um, every so often it happens when you're in, uh, I'm what they call a traditionally published author. I, uh, I work with a publishing company and, um, every so often it happens that an editor will call you up and say, we want this kind of book for next year. Would you be willing to write us this kind of book? And my editor called me up and said, uh, Jennifer, we need a book about a talking corgi. How about it? And I said, what? Can I hear that again? Because, you know, those were not words I had really ever expected to hear all put together in a sentence. Um, but my editor, who um, Jess and I had worked together on a previous series uh, where I had written about a community of witches and a magical cat. So I was already in the, <laughs> I was already in the pet themed. Uh, yeah. Uh, milieu, as it were, and and she said, yeah, just take a minute and think about it. 
And what we what we want is we want a bakery, we want an English village, and we want a corgi that talks. Wow. <laughs> they just approached you as rent an author, didn't they? Right. Yeah. And, and what three things make a book, I guess. You know, right. Three what three things make a post? Well, three things I guess make a book. But I, I admit I didn't think I could do it at first. First of all, I'm not a, I am admittedly not a corgi owner. Um, my family is cat people as opposed to dog people. No shade on dog people. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. I, you know, I, I've, I've been, I've been called to task to say that I'm not a dog person, but you know, in reality, before Digby came along, I had not had a dog in 30 years and it was my ex-husband's dog. I love the dog more than the ex-husband. So when the ex, when the dog, honest to God, when the dog passed away, I thought, well, this is an out um, because that's how good the dog was. I just, <laughs> for me, it's always been easier and I communicate with cats more, but I love dogs. So for the listening audience, I do love dogs. I, I absolutely love but dogs. But traditionally you're a cat person. Traditionally. So you can I, relate. Yeah, I can relate. Well, I love dogs too, but yeah. you know, let's, let's be honest. Dogs are a great deal of work. And oh, for sure. Uh, if you're going to own an active breed, like, say, a corgi, who are very intelligent dogs, who are bred to be working dogs. I mean, they're cute as heck, but they're working dogs. They if are. If you don't have yes. the time or the space to properly house and train a working breed, you are going to end up with a board dog. And then yeah. disaster happens. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, we uh, we own two working dogs, my corgi and um, my Australian uh, cattle dog, both working dogs. So yeah. if we don't keep if we don't keep them going, uh, we have complete disaster in the house. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you for saying that because so many of our listeners, so many of our listeners are thinking about getting corgis but don't realize, and they're fabulous. He, he, my dog is brilliant. Um, and he's, and he's, you know, it, it just like a, just like a brilliant child, a, you know, a brilliant child, their mind needs to constantly, constantly, constantly be, you know, engaged with something. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. yeah. No, it, we want it's one of the reasons I, oh, I'm sorry. No, continue, please. It's one of the reasons I don't at this time have a dog. Um, because I know what kind of work, um, is involved in properly, housing and caring for again especially working breed like a corgi um you know if you have to be out in the day if you have say a small house i would not right. keep a corgi in my we have a very small house it's a great house we love our house 1915 bungalow i wouldn't keep a corgi in there we have got a tiny house and a tiny yard so you know and you, you just have to think before you you know decide what kind of dog you're going to bring into your life yeah, that's and and we want everybody to know the full story. So yes, I appreciate that too. And also, bungalow be still my heart. Yes. As a house fanatic, I'm completely intrigued. Oh, yes, yeah, we were we were so lucky. We found this. It, it's like I said, we think it's a 1915 house. They told us it was 1920. My husband did a little digging. We think it was lying about its age. Um, it's got the original floors. It's got the original oh. windows. Oh, I'm swooning. Oh, we have been slowly fixing it up. Uh, you know, since we got it, we are just about to start in. We got the downstairs mostly where we want it. We are just about to start in on the upstairs. We found a local company that will restore the windows. 
Wonderful. Yeah. And so we don't have to get aluminum windows. We're going to be able to keep the wood windows. So, oh, that's amazing. You know, very exciting. But again, you know, back in the day, they built, you know, this was, this was a house set up in a very working class, uh, at the time it was a very working class neighborhood. Um, so, you know, it was a small house for a small family and Corgi's got to stretch those tiny little legs. Oh, they do. They, they do. They do. <laughs> yes. So you're having a, you're having the cacophony of Bork's in agreement. <laughs> yes. Yes. So did you, did you find it challenging when they said, we want you to write about a bakery and a talking corgi? <laughs> did, did it take you a while to kind of wrap your head around that? The bakery part was easy. Um, I am uh, I'm a great fan of all baked goods and I'm a great fan of the Great British Baking Show. So, you know, there I am watching my Great British Baking Show reruns and saying, it's research. It's all research. Um, so, so that part was easy. Uh, but... It took me a little while to get a handle on how I was going to make a character out of this dog. Now, you know, obviously when you're writing about a talking animal, you're, you're right into, you know, it's fantasy. You know, we all know. We all pretend to talk to our animals and we pretend that they talk back. But, but I wanted to, I, I wanted to um, see what I could do to make, make Oliver um, more than just a human in a fursuit because a dog perceives the world differently from a human being. So I was actually able to do some really good research. Um, there's a fabulous book out there, I'm blanking on the author, called The Other End of the Leash. And the author is an actual animal psychologist, um, you know, been to school and everything, and writes about how a dog's senses work, how they get information into their brain. Um, and it's a very different way than humans do. Obviously, you know, humans, we, we are sight driven. You know, every, everything we get comes in through our eyes first and all our other senses afterwards. Dogs, eyes are like n number three. It's not gonna surprise anybody that first thing is the nose. You know, the world, the world is a pile of smells. And the second right. thing is the ears. They hear before, and that's partly why um, a dog can raise their ears, a dog can, can uh, turn their ears around, because hearing is so important to them, they have to be able to tell where something is coming from. So their ears are like antennas, they're directional. Um, and only then does sight come into play. So they perceive the world very differently than we do. And once I started reading about that, I started to get really interested, I'm like, okay, we can, we can take this, we can work with this. Because I am a big old nerd. And <laughs> I, I, I am love... fascinated. I, I am totally fascinated. And, and now I need to get... Good. Okay, I turned back on again. <laughs> yeah, we, we're trying to turn the, uh, the mics on and off for our listening audience because, well, forking. Saving your ears. Yeah, yeah. saving your ears. <laughs> but I am, I am completely fascinated by this. Yeah. You know, again, as somebody who's new to the dog world, really, yeah. I mean, I had, I had Lassie growing up. I had, and yeah, it was a collie. I named it Lassie. What is, what does every little kid do? Um, and I, I had another little uh, toy poodle, not that long. It, it didn't like us, um, but it, it liked a neighbor. And But I, you've had dogs. I've had yeah. dogs. I've had, yeah, I've had plenty of dogs. And Kelly, 
Kelly was an amazing, he was a, like a miniature German shepherd and he was such a good boy. He was such an amazing dog. Like my Lilo. Like your Lilo. Yeah. 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 My first owner, owner, idiot, uh, little doggy, amazing. Are you, will I get you in trouble with your publisher if I wanted to read just a couple little snippets? No, please go right ahead. Can I do that? Okay. Because this is, this is earmarked on what we're talking about and some of the research you've done and reading this book about ears. So I want to tell you, and I'm not as far as I would like to be. I think I'm on chapter five or six, chapter seven, actually. And so I'm just getting started. But uh, so far, just in these first seven chapters, you have really captured the essence of a corgi. Because the, the, the character, Oliver, is, I mean, I see him. I see my corgis in him. And I am very familiar with this behavior. Uh, but at the very beginning, uh, there's a little excerpt here that I want to share. Humans wasted so much time. The air was full of green growing and salty smells, even more smells than Hyde Park on a Sunday. And they weren't even paying attention to any of them. So here we are with the smells. But right. this right here, I love so much. Of course, being a corgi, Oliver was a dog of noble warrior heritage. His four dogs had sailed with the Vikings, and his royal brothers guarded the Queen's Majesty every day, just like he guarded his best human, Emma. And I just love that so much because doesn't that sound like every one of ours? Like, yes, noble. We are royalty. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and then this is the last part I little I want to share, but uh, then there's a a fox makes a cameo. So we have Oliver in hot pursuit. Uh, but there is a little excerpt here about him seeing this fox and uh, being told to pipe down. He needs to be good, but he doesn't want to be good. Actually, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. I feel like I'll spoil it if I keep reading. But but anyway, uh, it, it, it kind of goes back to the, well, I'm, I'm a good corgi. I'm a noble corgi. And I listen to him, fox, oh my God, there's a fox. <laughs> and then it just completely gets thrown in. I mean, that is just... Yes. That is corgidom right that, there. That is corgidom. So, um, so we have uh, five chickens, and they do not interact with the corgis at all. Oh dear. So they, they're yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm smarter than that. And and uh, the chickens have to stay completely enclosed. So they do they do roam free for all your animal lovers. Uh, they do roam free, but they are enclosed because of where we live. There are coyotes and there are bobcats. That being said, um, if you can imagine this giant structure. Uh, it completely covered in um, in chicken wire and they run back and forth and they run all around and they do whatever they want. Well, the corgi runs the whole length of the run, which is a good 24 feet long, 24 feet with long ease. with ease. Right. He runs the whole length of it and he tries to get them all in a little Hello, package hurting instinct. Yes. The, the hurting instinct. It's, it's very funny. It's very funny. Oh. Yeah, you very you've definitely captured the essence. You did. Well, partly this is this is from now. I you know I'm a cat you know from a cat family, but I did have a relationship as a kid with with a dog. My aunt and uncle, who lived way out in the country outside of Buffalo, um, had a Malamute, and the Malamute's name was Kasek, and he was the best dog ever. I mean, every dog's the best dog ever, but. Um, he was, he was never tied up. He was never in a kennel. He just had the whole countryside to roam in. And wherever I went as a kid, Cassack was either in front of you or behind you. 
And, you know, and he was in the green. I didn't know Malamutes were actually white, white until I saw some in the city. Because Cassack was great. Because <laughs> oh. he was always in the mud and in the clay <laughs> and, and all of these things. But he was a terrific dog unless and until he caught wind of a groundhog. Oh. And that was <laughs> the end of it. Cassack was on the hunt. Right? Entirely different dog. Wow. Because there was there was an animal out there and he was going to find that sucker. Right. <laughs> so that in part comes comes from um, childhood memories of, of Cassack. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I can imagine. And those are Malamutes are much bigger than Corkies. They are big dogs. They are, yeah. they are big dogs. That, when I was, yeah, well, was maybe third grade, that Cassack knocked down a friend of mine just by being friendly. He jumped <laughs> up and he went over it. And that was, yeah, they're they are not small dogs. But he had a lot of room to run. So it was all right. And it was upstate New York. So it wasn't like right. um, um, he was in a real hot weather. So he was he yeah. perfect. Oh, that sounds like a perfect dog's life. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's what every dog dreams of. Um, I want to get back to you were saying that it, it having specifically a corgi was the idea of your editor and publisher. Was there, did they ever give you a reason why it was a corgi and not a, you know, German shepherd or. Because uh, everybody corgis. corgis. This is true. They're adorable. They are, that's. They are, Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We. I've had my first one was born in 2004, and when people would see him, he looked kind of like a little German Shepherd. He just he 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 was a very large dog, but he didn't have legs because he was a corgi. Right. And people would say, "That's a cool dog. What kind of dog is that?" I'd say a corgi, and they'd say, "What? A corgi? I've never heard of that before." And then it wasn't until about 10 years ago that people were like, "Oh." Corgis, and now we have what we call the paparazzi. If you have a corgi, you can't go anywhere. This is true, and yeah. and and I think also the um uh, the the TV show The Crown has done a lot to yes. uh, corgis because yeah, yeah, there she is. There's uh, there's the queen and court and the uh, cowboy bebop, cowboy bebop and the cowboy corgi. Yeah, the there's corgi. some famous ones. Yeah, there's, there's some anime has been very big for corgis, and there has been yeah. a lot of corgi merch out there. So, yes. so yeah, we are definitely seeing an increase in, in popularity of corgis. So, you know, when we're looking, you know, looking for new books and, and people do love a pet cozy. I love a pet cozy. Um, so, you know, a corgi was pretty much a natural. Yeah. Right. I mean, how can you not? And I will say, you know, our audience, uh, people of Corgi Town USA will eat this up. I mean, I am. I can highly recommend. So I'm, I'm excited. So as we're talking about the story and the setting, uh, this is Cornwall, England. Mm -hmm. yes. And I, I did read an excerpt here that you're you're a big fan of of England. And so is that places you've been? What was the inspiration of um, yeah. where the setting was? Mm -hmm. Sorry. That was actually one of the things that led me into knowing I could write the book. When they said English Village, um, I asked, could I make it Cornwall? I had back in the early I've been writing for a while. And back in the early 90s, I actually got to go to Cornwall um, researching another book. And I stayed um, in this lovely little village called Tintagel, which had a great big ruined castle, which is part of the King Arthur legends. 
and it's Ooh. right on the seacoast. And I stayed at a little B and B, and it was everybody was so nice, and it was absolutely fabulous. And so when I when I said, you know, okay, English Village, can I make it somewhere I've actually been? They said yes, go ahead. So I modeled Trivana on Tintagel. Um, so you know the the various the various settings, the um, the the, the tourist trap King Arthur Castle, the seacoast, the medieval ruins, which I hope to be able to write about in a, in a future book. Um, those are all Tintagel. Now I've made up some other things, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of this is, uh, is memories of, of that particular spot and of my um, not long enough uh, trip to Cornwall. I'm hoping, you know, as soon as the, the pandemic uh, settles down and so on, you know, when we can travel again, I would love to go back. I wasn't married. I didn't have my son when I went the first time. I would love to take them and we, you know, we're hikers. So it would be just so fabulous to get to walk that coastline and you'll get material for new books. Absolutely. And and I think that the people of Tintagel should, uh, should throw a party. I think they should have a, a bring you out, yeah. bring you out, have a book launch, everything. Yeah. It's, it's all about them. Yeah. We'll bring our corgis. We'll bring our corgis. <laughs> in, in celebration of Oliver. Yes. <laughs> so can you tell us, um, if you don't mind sharing, we don't want to give away trade secrets, but, and thank you for sharing that. This this village sounds so idyllic. I, I mean, you read it, and you you are transformed. You're just you're there, and you just you want to stay there. So just cozy and just dreamlike. Um, can you share with us a little about your writing process? You told us about how um, your publisher kind of gave you this sort of outline of things they wanted you to cover and make a story out of that. Can you share a little about your artistic process when you sit down to write a story? Well, I'm lucky. I'm a, I'm a I, able to be a full-time writer. Um, so, you know, I've got a, a pretty wide scope um, for any given day. But the first thing is, is spend a lot of time thinking about it. So, you know, you get your prompt or you get, you know, your an initial idea. Um, it can be from something I've seen, from something I've read, really anything. Um, and then there's a whole lot of thinking. Um, Normally, I'm working on a couple different three things at a time, but I'll wander around with it for a while. I will take long walks. I call it plot walking. Um, okay. And I will, this is the part that sounds schizophrenic, but you have to just see what comes. Um, you know, does, does a scene show up? Okay, this scene has showed up. Well, what goes before this scene? What goes after this scene? And it, it's kind of hard to explain, but then you have to start sitting down and, Putting, putting words on the page. Now, I do a lot of research. Um, like I said, I'm a big old nerd. So, for example, if I'm writing a historical, under other names, I write historical mysteries. So I've always got to go to the library and get the next big stack of books out and start reading through those until, you know, the right scene hits. And then it kind of gets to be experimentation try out an idea or two, start to see what, what feels good. It's almost, a, to use a metaphor, Emma would appreciate it. It's a bit like baking a cake. You got to keep checking the oven, poking it, see if it's done yet. Does this look good? Right. Yes. Okay. This worked. So I'm Wonderful. a very touch and feel writer. I will outline uh, largely because um, an editor likes to see an outline. They want to know you have a beginning, a middle or an end. So I will outline, but not voluntarily. Um, 
<laughs> I do like to, when I'm writing a mystery, have an idea of where I'm going. I like to know who done it. I like to know kind of how the ending um, looks um, right. so that I know where I'm aiming for. When I sit down to write the beginning, I like to have a target. Right. So for To Fetch a Felon, um, you know, when I, for inspiration research, I did the reading about, I read some books about corgis. I watched a lot of corgi videos. Corgi training videos are the cutest things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Watch the agility trials. <laughs> Oh, okay. Um, yeah, for from the Westminster Dog Show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Little critters. Oh um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's a there's a scene later where Emma is where where Oliver has gone missing, and Emma is frantic, and her friends are trying to tell her calm down. You haven't you can't have gone that far, and she's saying, "No, you do not have any idea how fast he actually is." Yes. So, so, you know, that's something I, I don't know if you've gotten there yet. It involves that fox. No, but I appreciate the forewarning that I will panic because that's, that's every Corgi Paul rents nightmare. Because, <gasps> yeah. Oliver has a lot more books to do. Oliver's not going anywhere. I will still panic. Yeah, she will. She will still absolutely panic. That was when I shared that with my writer's group. I have a writer's group. So another part of my process is I have people who beta read for me. You know, they, um, we all, we all read each other's stuff. That's part of the group, but, uh, but they are, a, a lot of them are dog people. So that was another way I was able to, you know, get some feedback and make sure I was writing Oliver, um, in a believable way, as believable right. as a talking dog gets. <laughs> um, but they were the ones who, who reminded me that, the thing you have to look out for as a dog owner that you don't necessarily have to look out for when you're a person with an indoor cat, say, is cars. Yes. And that the Sadly. first thing when Oliver goes missing, the first thing Emma would be worried about would be cars. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, so I had some help, help with that, but Oliver's fine. Just let all your audience know. He's yeah. fine. Yeah. Good. He um, will be fine, but there is panic coming. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, trigger warning. <laughs> Have a glass of wine ready. Trigger warning and and a little bit of a plot spoiler. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's a very good reason he goes missing, and he is able to discover important things. So, you know. Good. He's a little investigator. Yes, and he's proud of it. Of course he's he is. Everything. <laughs> yes. In true Corgi fashion. Right. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. This is, I mean, I'm so excited. I keep, I, I think I told, uh, I told Jennifer before we recorded, I said, I, I have all these things going. I'm so busy, but I keep finding ways to just go escape for like 10 minutes so I can read a chapter or two, because I just really want to know what happens. Man, I've got more adulting to do. And then I go back. So it's very much a reading as much as I can when I can process. So as you're telling us about your process and some of the research you do, I have to ask, because we're talking about the characters and Oliver, of course, is our favorite, but, and then there's Emma, his human. When you write these characters, are they often based off of people you know, or at least inspired by people you know, or does this come completely out of your uh, creative mind? What does that look like? I think everybody, um, every writer is, um, you know, inspired by so many different sources and yeah everybody takes it takes something from um from their life and from their interests um i lived in london um for three months when i was in college 
And I worked as a temporary secretary in London, which was great because I got to go around you know, to all kinds of different places. And I, I worked a little while um, for Barclays Bank. Um, this was back in, again, way back in the day when telexes were still a thing and I was a telex operator. Um, so, you know, when I was thinking about, when I was thinking about Emma, I knew I wanted to make her an older heroine. Um, I think, you know, middle-aged um, women don't get enough, uh, enough star power in books. You know, they're pretty, thank you. <laughs> they're pretty well represented, um, in, in mystery, but you know, in general, we know we run the world, right? Exactly. But else thank does. you. I, I don't know what's up with that. You know, us and the Corgis, we run the world. So I wanted to make her an older heroine. I wanted to make her someone who was, who was starting a second act. And I wanted her to kind of naturally have some skills that would be very handy um, as an amateur sleuth, you know, when she, and because of my time in London, I thought, you know, oh, let's have her be a refugee from the banking industry. You know, that's a famously harsh environment, not good for anybody, doesn't treat, you know, a lot of the older women well, it'll burn you out. So mm -hmm. it would be natural for somebody like that to be looking for a, um, for a second act. And also, frankly, because it would have allowed her to save the money that would have been needed to be able to say, okay, stopping now, starting over. Because, so I wanted that, if, even if it doesn't necessarily play a big part in the story, I wanted all of that to be in the background. Right. So that's the kind of thing that I try to do when building a character. It's like, okay, so the character, this is the moment in the character's life that we're looking at here. How did they get here? What brought them uh, to this time? And I try to keep that, it, it, any character in a book is a little like an iceberg. You're seeing about this much. The author has seen this much. Yes. Okay. Um, so, you know, I'm, I like to have a, a character pretty well thought out and I'll, I will keep notes. Um, and I have, you know, again, there's maybe a hundred pages that you guys have never seen simply because they're me thinking with my fingers Mm -hmm. So that I have this firmly in my head when I'm writing any given scene. Wow. Yeah, that's and that's part of the best part of being a reader, being the the audience, is that all these questions come up as you read about the character and you read about who they are and how they're reacting to scenarios, and you think, wow, well, I wonder, I wonder what in their past caused this, and then as you kind of unfold, you learn more and more and kind of keeps them from being predictable right. but you you learn you know some, like making a friend you you get to know someone and you learn more and more about them exactly and, and that's and, why we read i mean let, yeah. let's face it we read we read to you know go places we can't go and to to meet new people and make new friends yeah yeah, I I mean I'm definitely obviously I'm in love with Oliver but uh but I'm I'm falling in love with the other characters as well so Thank you so much for uh, sharing this. I don't want to take up too much of your night, but we could sit here and talk Corgi and Corgi books all day. I will ask one final question. Uh, this says this is first in a series. Is there an ultimate plan? What is the future of the series? Uh, is it or is it kind of unfolding in what we go? What can we expect? Well, there are going to be there. There are two other books. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Murder Always Barks Twice is out on the shelves now. <laughs> And, Love it. Uh, <laughs> Love it. I have just turned in a cold nose for murder. Um, 
I love these titles. I know. I can't wait to read them all. Yep. I'm going to just hold myself up in a cabin somewhere and just eat them all up. Yes. All the books. So that at the moment are the, those are the three we know are happening. Um, I'm hoping there will be more, but that's kind of up to, up to uh, Jess and, uh, and the publisher right now. So, but you know, there will be these, there will be these three and um, we will see more of the, have you met the cream tangerine yet? I have not. That's my cat. Okay. Oh, so, okay. So you will, you will meet the cream tangerine and uh, you will, you will meet Rufus the Irish setter. Oh, and, uh, wonderful. So, so we, wonderful. Have, we have a, a uh, large cast of four-legged uh Trevanites um that you will get to be in the in the next two books. Well if anyone needs me I'm going to be holed up reading a book. So that's right. <laughs> well I want to share with our audience uh you can find at Jen Hawkins author you have a Twitter you have a TikTok as well you mentioned I do I do it's not a very active TikTok but it is there. Okay. okay, and Jennifer Hawkins books on Facebook, and if you want to purchase these books, you can go to it's indiebound.org, yes. so www.indiebound.org to find I these. And again, I'm sorry, really people to go there because the proceeds will go to your local independent bookstore, and we all need to support our indies. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We have, I worked in independent bookstores. Yes. In high we school. Have, we have an amazing independent bookstore here in the Phoenix area that just hosts wonderful authors. I met Ozzy there. Ozzy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Has, I met Ozzie. has hosted presidents, has hosted presidents of the United States. It's a great so. people. Yeah. So, audience, this is To Fetch a Felon, the first in a series. And you said murder barks twice. Did I get that correct? Murder always barks twice. Murder always barks twice and a cold nose for murder. That's right. So these are the ones available in the series. If you go to www.indiebound.org and as a, as of your listener, I, this is not sponsored. This is me telling you read the book. It's fantastic. I love it so much uh, just as a fan. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time to tell us about this. Well, again, thank you so much for inviting me. It was a delight. Well, thank you. We hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Yes. And we'll look for the next books. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. I'm going to be reading today. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as we're done, I'm going to just go hide somewhere and read so, so I can. It sounds like a good day. Yeah. It oh, like an amazing day. Just sit down and read. And I'm and I may or may not have been reading this actually to my corgis. <laughs> a little bedtime story. <laughs> yes. A little corgi bedtime I, story. I get to tell them about their friend Oliver. They're, their yeah, corgi friend Oliver. Little corgi friend Oliver. <laughs> I'm ex I'm excited. I, I'm a, I'm I'm a little embarrassed that she's watched more um, uh, agility as as you know um my current beau does uh, had done agility with his dogs and we're thinking about agility with digby and digby would be wonderful at agility agility or fly ball or something like that and i've <laughs> learned it all here but i'm a little embarrassed that our author don't be embarrassed there's plenty of time uh who hasn't 
who who doesn't have a corgi has watched but market research she's researching her book that's right well we encourage you again this is i'm reading to fetch a felon this is jennifer hawkins and it is indiebound.org please go there purchase these books you won't be disappointed i promise as a corgi lover you will relate to oliver you will relate to emma the character uh, that is the Corgi Paul Ritt. So thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to sign off tonight. Candy Cat, Digby, Mortimer, Chuckles, Booger, Hammer, everybody. Everybody's here. We're here for you every Thursday. All things Corgi, pet lifestyle. Have a great night. Good night.